Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and this week's episode is with the one and only Dr. Stephen Cabral. Dr. Cabral is a functional medicine doctor and holistic health practitioner. He is extraordinarily knowledgeable in a variety of aspects of holistic wellness. And specifically, I talked to him, well, I talked to him about a variety of topics, but we talk about detoxing, we talk about optimal wellness commensurate with your unique constitution and body type. We talk about Ayurveda. We go deep on a nuanced amount of topics. And if you're looking to really optimize your health and wellness and thinking about nutrition, thinking about detoxification, thinking about personalized wellness and well-being, I think you're going to love this episode with Dr. Cabral. Uh, Before we get into it, if you haven't gone ahead and left a rating and review, it would mean the world to me over on Apple Podcasts. We have over 255 star reviews. It means the world to me. I so appreciate uh, everyone who has contributed. It helps us move up in the algorithm as well as get some of the great guests that we brought you. And I am committed to continuing to bring you phenomenal guests. Now, before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to two of my partners, brands that I really love. The first is Blue Blocks. Uh, Blue Blocks is my go-to for blue light blocking glasses and all-around sleep solutions. I use their uh, Lumi light bulbs uh, in the nighttime to preserve my circadian rhythms. I have their uh, clear glasses for using on the computer, as well as their blue light blocking glasses that I use in the nighttime to really keep myself in a good way and to really optimize my sleep. Uh, You can listen to the episode I did on light and light hygiene with their founder, Andy Mance. Uh, it's extraordinarily useful. I think you'll get a ton of value out of it. Uh, light is one of the least frequently talked about topics as it comes to health, but it's so, so critical to setting our circadian rhythms and our overall health and well-being. So check them out, Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X. And if you visit, you can put in PEAK for 15% off your order. Again, that's blueblocks.com, and I'll link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by One Farm by Wayab. One Farm is my go-to solution for CBD. It's extraordinarily high quality, organic. It's blended with organic MCT oil. So good for your brain, in my experience, uh, as well as my my anxiety. It's helped uh, dramatically uh, reduce uh, anxiety. I use it as part of my meditation practice. Um, it is extraordinary. I highly recommend you check them out. It's onefarm.com. And if you put in peak mind at checkout, you get 20% off your order. Uh, there's a lot of CBDs out there, but this is my go-to source because they literally hand pick the plants and it's of the highest quality and the highest integrity. Check them out. Onefarm.com and peak mind at checkout. Without further ado, it's my great pleasure to introduce the one and only Dr. Stephen Cabral. All right, I'm here with Dr. Stephen Cabral. Dr. Cabral, it's uh, wonderful to be with you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Yes, yeah, so I, by context, I just did a, actually a massive road trip. Uh, I bought a camper van and picked it up and did a significant amount of deep diving into one of my great passions, which is optimal health and living. 
And I discovered uh, a podcast you had done with a mutual friend of ours, Melissa Ambrosini. And you talked, I, I devoured a couple of your shows. Um, I was fascinated by your personal story, um, by your, your background in Ayurveda, which is something that I actually studied in Sri Lanka uh, for, for a couple of years, as well as just, I think, your overall approach. And, and one thing I just want to acknowledge is you, you did an episode talking about genetics and, and alcohol, and we can go into this, I think, a little later in the show. But the, the other thing that came out of that is I actually stopped drinking alcohol. I'm now seven months into um, to, 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 to my pause uh, on drinking, and I feel amazing. So um, it's, it's quite an honor to have you on the show, and, and I can't wait to go deep with you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks again. And I'm glad to hear that you've connected with Melissa, too. She's an amazing human being. <laughs> she is, yes. Um, so let's start. If you can, give us a little background. Around, uh, you know, you're, you're a specialist in as a naturopathic doctor, uh, as well as Ayurvedic practitioner. Um, but I know that your story started for, uh, out of sort of personal necessity, if you will. Uh, can you give us just a little bit of background around your personal health journey? Sure. For me, I grew up, I, I think like, you know, most people just kind of normal background. You go to your doctor, they give you antibiotics when you're sick. You know, I'm, I'm eating fruity pebbles and frosted flakes and eating cold cut sandwiches for lunch, just kind of like normal food growing up that we would say. And what happened was that all of this led to many health issues that I didn't really see coming. I had allergies, kind of low level asthma, uh, sometimes have some digestive issues. I'd get headaches most afternoons, and, but really shrugged it off because I was playing sports and just kind of living my life. And then what happened was when I was 17 years old, I got extremely sick. Basically woke up one morning, my glands were swollen. Um, I could barely swallow. I had a fever. Uh, it was lightheaded, really weakness in all of my muscles and joints. And that led to two years of being shuffled from doctor to doctor, really all around the Boston area. And it was for no lack of trying from any of these specialists or medical doctors, but they simply couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So after two years of going to over two dozen doctors and specialists, I finally went and found a what was called back then kind of the beginning of functional medicine. And what they did was instead of just running blood work like all the other doctors were doing, they began to look at other factors such as, do I have SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Do I have candida overgrowth? Do I have H. pylori? Do I have food sensitivities? Do I have low cortisol, etc.? Well, that led to a whole new world and that enabled me, not right away, but it enabled me to find my way without the internet. So this is the late 90s. And discovered that there are underlying root causes that eventually lead to disease. And the diseases that I was later diagnosed with once I took these labs back to a PCP were Addison's disease, which is the inability to produce cortisol. So it's the essentially the worst chronic fatigue you could have. And um, fibromyalgia, which is joint pain and inflammation. Uh, I had POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which explained why my heart rate would race when I would walk up the stairs. I would get lightheaded. I had an intolerance to exercise. Uh, I had type 2 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune issue. So all of these health issues going on. And what I found was through conventional medicine, all I was going to be do, well, I was going to be given was a handful of medications to be told that we're going to try to manage the disease the best you can, but the outcome and prognosis is not good. 
So being a very stubborn firstborn individual, um, I, I got angry. I was probably depressed. I was anxious, but I refused to give up. And so over the next what would be uh, 10 years total, I would find my answers, I would meet my mentors, and I would discover that there is an answer for everyone. It's not always apparent, but if you figure out what your deficiencies are and what your toxicities are, you can heal. And that's what I was able to do. And I have none of those diseases today, Twenty more than 20 years later, I have more energy and feel better than I ever have. Yeah, one of the things I love, thank you for sharing uh, your, your, your origin story. One of the things I love is, and I, and I appreciate about your approach as I understand it, is that you're taking sort of the best of modern science in terms of being able to ascertain what those deficiencies are, but then applying a lot of um, ancient technology, if you will, in the form of, you know, I think, the, at least as I understand it, one of the original approaches to personalized medicine, for example, Ayurveda, um, to create a, a much more holistic uh, approach using sort of the best information we have now, but also, you know, some of the ancient wisdom that I think um, had a great deal of uh, efficacy to it um, as well. So can you can you explain a little bit about about your approach and a little bit about this notion, uh, this the notion of sort of personalized, if you will, medicine uh, and the doshas as it relates to Ayurveda? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is a big part of my practice. So what I, w- what I did is when I went for my doctoral degree in naturopathy, I said that, well, for those people that don't know, essentially when you study uh, naturopathic-based medicine, what you're looking at is the same disease pathology, how people get diseases as a medical doctor would, but your approach to being able to help them heal veers off those last two years. So you're studying all sorts of different natural-based approaches um, through vitamins, minerals, amino acids, essential fatty acids, etc., where a conventional medicine doctor would be more going towards pharmaceuticals and those types of things. And again, I, I believe people need both types of doctors. It's not just one or the other. Or again, a, a good health practitioner, health coach um, can suffice as well. The, the difference is that a medical doctor is going to help with acute-based care. If you are dying or you're in the emergency room or you need immediate attention, well, that's when to call your medical doctor. And we're very lucky and, and um, should be grateful to have them. But if you have a chronic-based disease, that means there is a true underlying root cause for what caused that. Because if you have high cholesterol, I can say, well, yeah, you could, you could blame it on your genetics, but you had the same genetics when you were eight years old. Why didn't you have high cholesterol then? And if you have Hashimoto's, you might say, well, everyone in my family has it. Sure, but you didn't have it at 12 years old, so why do you have it now at 38 years old? So what I did was after or as I was graduating and doing my internships, I decided to study all over the world. And I said, I'm going to specialize in the area of medicine where people are getting the best results. And after studying traditional Chinese medicine in China, studying Sri Lanka, studying Ayurveda in India, studying Europe uh, all over, I realized that every form of medicine works, but you need to know who to use it with and when. And that's the biggest issue we have right now with you know every form of medicine is like, Oh, well, acupuncture is supposed to treat everything. Well, it doesn't work that way. And like, okay, you use herbs for everything. Well, not necessarily. And so what I realized was that what you really want to do is integrate all of these beautiful forms of medicine and you want to personalize it for the person. So what we do is we do state-of-the-art lab testing. We ship labs all over the world to people. They run their labs. We figure out what their deficiencies are, whether it be, again, omega-3s, it might be Uh, protein in general, protein deficiency, it might be vitamins, it might be minerals. And then we personalize that using 
the actual symptoms and story of the person and the Ayurvedic uh, based wisdoms, which is essentially the doshas and we know them as body types. So even though Ayurveda seems like a strange thing to many people, we have to understand is that 50% of all pharmaceutical drugs come from Ayurvedic or traditional Chinese medicine-based herbs. When I was over in India, there was pharmaceutical companies studying with all of these doctors to figure out what they were using these herbs for so they could try to patent them. And then also the body types that we know them as, ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph, all come from the Ayurveda doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha. I'll I'll stop there because I don't want to get too long-winded if you have specific questions. No, actually, that's exactly where I wanted to go. So can you talk a little bit about those three, three constitutions? And, and I love that you actually, you know, use endomorph, like the, the context of sort of how, how those three constitutions are articulated in sort of Ayurvedic science. I, I, and I know you could do a whole podcast just on this, but just for the benefit of the listeners and then how one would perhaps cater, for example, in their nutrition based on those particular uh, styles of, uh, of uh, constitution yes and i mean so ayurvedic medicine is in my opinion the most in-depth form of medicine in the world so you know it's difficult to even master it in five years you know like it's it's you really have to get into it but everyone should i I, in my opinion as well should start to begin to learn more about themselves and their unique body type and that's because if you start to understand your own genetics and your own body type you're going to be a little bit more gentler in how you look at yourself and what type of body type you should even have and what your pros and cons are because there's pros and cons to every body type. So the vata body type matches up with what's called the ectomorph and the ectomorph is going to have thinner joints naturally. They are going to have uh, a more, let's say a longer face, a longer neck. You're going to see more of the joints uh, themselves. And, you know, simply put, they're the group of people that can typically eat, you know, all the carbohydrates they want and really not gain weight. So they have more slender calves. They are on the more negative side. They're a little bit more anxious oftentimes. Sometimes they have more insomnia. They are more prone to osteoporosis, more prone to being catabolic, and sometimes the the uh, strength of the immune system is a little bit weaker. And so it, this gets in depth, right? Because um, when you're a child and you're you're more in the kapha state, and when you get to be a teenager in your twenties, you're more in the pitta state, and so and then you know things change more towards kapha, and then as you get older again, you're more in the vata state. So. You know, because as we get older, we tend to lose muscle, we tend to become more catabolic, and that's also referred to as being more in a vata-based state. So there are two ways to look at this as well, and I'll get to the pitta and kapha in just a second, but there is the state that you're currently in, and that is called your vakriti. So a vata body type, even though they might have the thinner joints and they're typically, you know, again, I like to separate the mental side from the physical side because most of us are in a vata-based state. We're not in a kapha-based state, even if we are kapha, because we live in a high-stress, you know, go-go-go society, which is vata. But your vakriti is where you're at right now. Let's say you're a vata body type, you're 5'8", your typical body weight for you might be 150 pounds. Okay. You can be 200 pounds as a vata body type. It's more rare, but now your present state is that vakriti. Your your actual constitution, your genetics is called the prakriti. So vakriti is current state and your genetics where you should be is your prakriti. So the prakriti now of the mesomorph or the pitta is one of being typically having broader shoulders, more of a square face, smaller features on the face, uh, a little bit more muscular, more muscle definition, 
good athletics, good sprinting, good power, more of the leader. They are, though, also quick to rage, quick to anger, faster temper. Um, They have strong digestion, but they're also more prone to inflammation. Men are more prone to losing their hair, uh, more red rashes on the face. So that is kind of the the pros and cons of the pitta. And again, I'm giving you the ultra (laughs) fast take on this. And then the The cliff note version. Yes, exactly. I mean, this is this is beyond that, right? I, I hate to even say it like yeah. this because it it doesn't do the beauty of of the doshas, you know, its justice. But uh, but people should know where to start. And then the kapha body type is more of a rounder face, more of a softer looking body type, even when thin. Again, like a lot of people mistake the kapha for being overweight. That's not not necessarily true at all. They're more prone to gaining weight, uh, but they typically just have uh, larger joints. They have bigger calves naturally, fuller uh, muscles. And uh, they typically have great hair. They have thick hair. They have bright eyes, oftentimes blue eyes. Uh, But again, that depends too on culture. Stronger teeth, stronger hair, good skin, good immunity. And then the downsides would be more prone towards type 2 diabetes, weight gain, sometimes higher blood pressure. So I look at it as kind of always the pros and the cons of each. And and it's the respecting for your own natural body type. And and again, there's so much to be learned from that. Okay, so and there, did, did, and then you, what was the third uh, the third uh, body type constitution? So we have the vata, which is more of that thinner joint. We have the pitta, which is in the middle, and then we have the kapha, which is the larger bodied um, joint type. And so each can be at a great weight, but if, for example, the vata again might be five eight, and they might be naturally. Let's say this is a, a male might be naturally, let's say, 140 pounds. The pitta might be naturally 160, 65 pounds. And the kapha might be naturally 180, 85 pounds, all 5'8", but just different body types. So we can see there's a 40-pound swing where all of them are at a great body fat percentage, great you know, for their body. But again, the bone structure, the actual physical muscular structure of the body is going to be different. So that's why we have to respect that body type, especially for women in our society. I mean, we're, we just lead women to want to become or to supposed to be that vata body type or pitta vata as well, when realistically we have vata women, we have pitta women, and we have kapha women, and, and we have to respect all of those body types. So one woman could be very healthy at 120 pounds, another one, let's say 35, and another one, 155, 160 at, at whatever their given height. And how does one ascertain, because it sounds like, you know, obviously there's both the, the, the type, but then you can also be a mixture. So you could be pitta or, you know, uh, you know, a combination. And, and it sounds like there can be even a percentage. So you could be very dominant in one type, but have, um, you know, certain, you know, a certain percentage of another. How does one, uh, is that part of the testing protocol, for example, that you do or how to, for example, like I still don't know my type. Uh, so I would, I, I don't know as a six, four, uh, you know, 200 pound male, what I am, I have a guess based on the, on, on some of the things that you had shared. Um, but like, how would I go about ascertaining, um, sort of my, you know, what, what type I am and therefore how would I start to think about, um, the types of protocols and or approaches to my particular type such that I could optimize. And I'm just using myself as an example because it's, it's, it's the most clear and cogent, but obviously um, with keeping the audience in mind, um, you know, in, in their journey, how does one go about that process? So the way to look at it is to say, okay, a lot of people's body change changes over the years. And they like to say, well, when I was a teenager, when I was 18, I could eat whatever I wanted and not gain weight. Well, again, your body's not fully matured yet. 
and for a lot of women, you don't actually, I mean, a practitioner would know when a child was six years old or five years old, what they're going to be uh, body type wise. And you can even tell younger than that. Like I know my two daughters, my two daughters have different body types and I know what they're going to be. But like you said, it's almost, I mean, so first of all, you can't be a hundred percent of one. It's always going to be a percentage, but there are people that are 90% kapha. And what I, so what I did was because I don't want people doing Ayurvedic quizzes because you start mm. to mix the mental constitution and physical symptoms, which could be from a disease-based state, um, with the actual genetic structure. So what you actually need to look at is from head-to-toe assessment. You go here, you hair, forehead, um, eyes, nose, lips, teeth, face of shape, uh, face shape, neck shoulders. You don't really need to do more than that, but it is helpful, of course, doing the entire body. And then you can start to refine that as to what your percentage is. And you don't have to get it exactly perfect, but you want to know what your most dominant type is. And that can also shift a little bit based on if you're not eating healthy or eating healthy or even the season. So a lot of people tend to get more cold and they get a little bit more depressed and they gain more weight during the winter. Well, that's more of that kapha setting in. Whereas the pitta, who naturally runs a little bit more hot, would love the winter time more so than the summer because they get hot easily and they get flushed like their skin gets really flushed. They don't do well with all the heat. So I, I did a podcast series because I know that I'm not going to be able to answer this you know, on this podcast um, of a set of about 20 shows and we can link that up if you'd like to or not. But it goes through yeah, all to. of the different things because there's, there's basically four podcasts on how to figure out your dosha and then what I do is I give celebrity body types – and I give all the celebrities kind of like at their good body type. And the only reason I use celebrities is because people can kind of like, they, oh, yeah, I know who that person is. And you can see that all of them have a different body type and they're actually all in great shape and they're all great for their body type. And some people have a little bit more muscle and some a little bit less and some have a little bit more, you know, fuller legs and, and that's okay. So, you know, it's hard to break this down in one show except for the fact that people will begin to – once you start to look into this, you'll begin to realize that there's such wisdom in this. And I learned from my mentor was Dr. Pete. She learned directly from Dr. Vasant Lad, who came from India. He was one of the first doctors, if not the very first person to bring Ayurveda to the United States. And he has a book called Ayurveda, The Science of Healing. It's a very short book. It's an introductory book and a nice place to start as well. So, of course, I recommend reading his work since I learned kind of one generation removed from him. Uh, I love that. And we can link both to both of those in the show notes. I'd love to link to the series that you did, because I think a lot of people would find a lot of value in ascertaining their their constitution. Uh, and secondly, the book, the book sounds phenomenal. Um, so basically, it sounds like one of the things that you're talking about, and I think is so integral, because I think many, many of those listening, at least to the show, are 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 from a more Western audience, a more Western perspective. And, and as you mentioned, uh, it's not to vilify in any way, shape or form modern, modern medicine. Um, it's great for, a, you know, the treating of acute, uh, symptoms, etc. But as it relates to a science of well-being, um, thing, uh, you know, systems of thought and medicine like Ayurveda, I think bring a lot to the table as, as you balance that out. Cause I know you've studied a variety of different traditions. As you look at sort of the, 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 
the challenge of 21st century living, right? Like so much of the way that we're living now uh, is so fundamentally different in terms of our levels of cortisol, the environmental toxins and strains that that we're confronting in modern day life, urban life. Um, yet, you know, some some of these uh, some of these tenets of these traditional practices still remain true. Um, you know, one of the things that's come back into the limelight is the notion of like circadian rhythms and and how when when you eat and when you go to sleep and uh, are, are almost as important as what you eat in certain regards. Can you talk about just your overall approach? Um, and I, and obviously, you know, you've done over a thousand podcasts, so people can delve deeply, but as you look at the tenants in your view to optimal living in, in our current, current phase, and, and actually, as we record this, we, we should, it's worth noting that we are amidst this sort of coronavirus pandemic, and not that you need to go into any protocols that relates to coronavirus, but there is a more acute sense of stress. Uh, you know, there's more social distancing, et cetera. Um, so, and, and we're kind of confronted with, I think, the fact that, um, you know, we are being exposed to a variety of, of new inputs at a more rapid pace than our, you know, ancestors, even, you know, a few hundred years ago, let alone a thousand plus. So how do you, how do you look at, at some of the tenants for you in terms of the tools in your toolbox, uh, that you like to empower people with, um, in, in living for our current time? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is a big one because there's almost always more than one causal factor for someone getting sick. And there's almost always one uh, more than one way to getting well, meaning like not, of course, there's more than one way to get well, but meaning you can't just do one thing. People always mm -hmm. ask me like, oh, well, I have Lyme disease or I have Hashimoto's or I have rheumatoid arthritis, or they say, you know, you had Addison's disease, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, wh what was the one thing you did that made the biggest difference? And I said, I wish there was that one thing because I was searching for the one thing. But what happened was, and I've just realized this just simply being in clinical practice for many, many years you just look at what are the ways that people stay healthy and what are the ways that people get sick. And I just developed something that I call the de-stress protocol. And it's about diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin removal, rest, which focuses, of course, on sleep, but not just that. It's also heart rate variability. It's the autonomic nervous system. Uh, the next part is emotional balance. There's supplement protocols. And then there's success mindset. So if you look at that, that's about three parts, success mindset, emotional balance, and stress as three things that are not physiological, they're psychological, but your psychology absolutely affects your physiology. So if someone comes into my practice and they give themselves no hope for getting well, it's very difficult to get that person well. Not because we don't have the same protocols that we know that could help that person, but because their psychology, your psychology, your mind is so powerful that when you think certain thoughts, you actually produce certain chemicals inside of the body that help you to heal and help you to get sick. Now, those alone will most likely not heal you. It will help. But if you do that, along with good diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin removal, then you're going to get healthier faster. Meaning if you have higher levels of cadmium or arsenic or mercury or aluminum or lead, you still need to get rid of those. You don't want to just kind of think your way positive, although, you know, it's a big part of visualization, all that. But it's very, very important. If someone has a lot of trauma, all of that needs to be dealt with. So I look at all sides of the equation. I just do my best to do that. And a big part of that, again, is drawing on Ayurvedic-based philosophy and wisdom, healing both the mind, body, 
and giving people protocols that, that work. And I would say the, the biggest thing to date is that uh, what's called total, to- total toxic load or total body burden. And this is the accumulation, which I call the rain barrel effect, of the onslaught of what we're dealing with on a daily basis. People worry about 5G. They worry about EMFs. Well, yes, those are things to worry about. But what about all the pesticides on food? What about the uh, smog that we breathe in the air? Like there's this overloading of the system with stress from the mental, emotional side of it, spiritual side of it. And then there's also stress in the body from all the toxins that we take in. And that's why detoxification, although it's it's kind of a, a misused term, is one of the most crucial things that you can be doing mentally and physically, um, you know, on a weekly and quarterly basis. Yeah, I, I would love to delve a little bit more deeply into that. I, you know, obviously there's talks of uh, autophagy and fasting, and and there's various health trends which I think you've you've gone deep into, and I'd, I'd actually love to get your perspective on it. But I think that's one of the you know, I'll speak from it from a personal point of view. So, you know, I, I have the great fortune of, of being able to speak to folks like yourself, some of, you know, some of the foremost experts in the functional medicine space. And uh, it's, it's helped me tremendously. And I've taken, you know, a huge number of actions. But I think like many people listening, there's still sometimes underlying conditions that we almost take for granted that I feel like is probably a result of some some type of um, toxin. I'm not even aware of what it is. Right. Like so uh, whether that's 5G or, you know, for example, you know, I've mentioned this on previous shows. I do know that I've had both Lyme, which I fortunately got, I discovered both times and got rid of through antibiotics in the first two weeks, which I know have consequences on my gut. But fortunately, at least to my knowledge, I got rid of that. Um, and I've also had mold exposure living in California on the coast, um, and living in an old building and, you know, learned that something like 50% of buildings in the U S have, have, uh, you know, are moldy, so to speak. Um, and I don't know if that's the case, but it's interesting whenever I, I find like, I find I'm home, I wake up with bags under my eyes and definitely lower energy and I use coffee. I have very few vices, but I definitely use coffee to sort of kick myself, uh, into gear. Whereas I notice if I'm fasting, for example, in nature, none of that is necessary. You know, like I'm in clean air, I'm in, you know, I'm out, not, not besieged by toxins. Now, probably I have a toxic load, you know, that's built up and accumulated, but how do folks think about, or how could I even think about, um, ascertaining what is the best phase and, and protocol for starting to think about that detoxification, especially like, you know, if, you know, may, not everyone has the benefit, for example, of going to a really high end spa or going to a place that's pristine, clean and doing say, you know, a, a two month protocol in a spa, you know, what are some of the ways we can think about, you know, if we have symptoms, we still never been able to ascertain or attached to any acute disease, how do you think about, you know, the, the, and I, and I know it's not necessarily one thing, but think about the, the system of, of well-being such that you can hopefully detoxify and start to live that optimal life that I think all of us are, are striving for. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, touched on many, many things there and that all of those are kind of what we want to watch out for and what we want to do. And what I want people to know is that there's different types of detoxification. Really what we're talking about is how well is our liver, which is this big dark red organ underneath the right side of our rib cage, you know, how well is it functioning? Because people always say, well, there's no need to focus on detox because your liver is doing it. And yes, it is. I mean, your liver is detoxing your blood, fully detoxes your blood every six minutes. 
And it's doing mm-hmm. that 365 days a year, you know, at every hour of the day. And it's doing that because if it, if it didn't, well, you wouldn't be here. So there's no doubt about that. But the thing that we sometimes forget is that your liver is not a magical organ. It works through a specific what's called phase one and phase two detox property proper, properties. And phase one is mainly a lot of vitamins and antioxidants. We have B vitamins. We use certain minerals. We use vitamin E. We use glutamine. We use glutathione. And then what happens is we're taking these toxins, whether it be um, higher levels of estrogen in the blood that's being broken down, uh, whether it's certain forms of plastic, whether it's pesticides, whether it's you know all sorts of different things that we accumulate, heavy metals, and it's breaking it down to what's called an intermediary metabolite. And then what your liver does as well is it takes something called um, a, a certain conjugation pathway, pathway, and it breaks it down to a water-soluble metabolite that can then come out in your stool your urine, or you can even sweat it out as well. And that's why when we do lab tests on people that use a sauna or even exercise, you can actually see that there's mold in their sweat. And you can see that there's mercury in their sweat, especially when doing something like an infrared sauna. So we know that these things accumulate in the body. And what we're trying to do through a functional medicine detox is actually help speed up the process and give the liver help to allow it to do its own job. And we know now that there's over 77,000 man-made chemicals in the environment. This is the United States. In Europe, there's a little over 8,000. Now, still, that's an enormous amount. Half of these chemicals have been shown to cause cancer. So there's really not a question as like, why do we have more cancer? And by the year 2030, why is one out of two people uh, going to have cancer? And the reason is, well, unless we do something, we're constantly being bombarded by a environmental process that our innate bodies cannot keep up with because they simply weren't used to or built or designed to be able to detoxify this quickly. So our body stores them away in the fat cells. And as we start to break down adipose tissue, all of these things get released in the bloodstream and then the liver has to try to keep up. And if it can't, we call that a Herxheimer reaction. They start to get, people get skin rashes and headaches and migraines and they feel nauseous and all sorts of different things. So we do a functional medicine detox quarterly in our practice. And that basically just combines intermittent fasting Uh, just about two days of liquid-based fasting to improve autophagy, but give the body all the nutrients that it needs. And let's say you were able to go to India and like where I was in in clinics in India, uh, although you're not doing the -the state-of-the-art functional medicine-based, you're actually doing some things that are very similar. You're using herbs, you're using abhyanga-based massage, which you can do right at home with a a dry brush or self-massage. It's just called Ayurvedic massage. You can just look up dry brushing. You can use a sauna. So basically what we did for people in India is we mobilize those toxins by having them fast, by using um, light meals, by using um, basically a clean diet and certain herbs. And then we would do abhyanga, certain types of massage, so manual limb drainage, uh, similar to the Vodder technique, which, by the way, had already been created 5,000 years before and simply rediscovered. And which is great. I love when people say, oh, like Emmanuel Vodder created the Vodder technique. I'm like, I guess, yeah. I mean, like he came up with it, but. If they had read the textbooks, it was around <laughs> 5,000 years ago um, and actually yeah. learned that when I went to Sri Lanka, which was amazing. It was like this huge light bulb moment. I'm like, oh, wait, I read about that. He didn't create it. Oh. And so – and then we would have people do saunas and we would have them just sweat uh, and we would we'd do all sorts of different therapies. But So that's great. I mean you can do it inside of a clinic. You can do, of course, IV infusions that I'm not always as big on because I don't, I'm not a mega dose um, supplement necessarily person. Um, but I want to give the body what it needs. So 
On a daily basis, intermittent fast, 12 hours, 14 hours for some people, fasting till lunch typically isn't the best thing to do for most people that are stressed. Uh, then on a weekly basis, a 24-hour fast from like what I do is dinner Sunday night. I have dinner with my family. I don't eat all day Monday, and then I have dinner with my family Monday night. So I do a 24-hour fast, and then every quarter, uh, this is how we do it in my practice, so I just want to share that with you. We do a, a seven-day detox, which is a, a much it's – just it's not difficult, but it's a more in-depth uh, nutritional supplement protocol. So ostensibly, you're doing a daily intermittent fast of, of at least 12 hours, but you don't necessarily advocate for skipping breakfast. So like you might skip, you might finish eating at 7 and, and then eat again at 7 a.m., something like that. And then once a week, you'll do the 24-hour fast. Uh, and then once a quarter, a week long, is that a dry fast or a water fast or is it a juice fast? Or um, what's the when you do the quarterly sort of, if you will, deep cleanse? Um, and this, there might be a whole protocol to this, but what are, what are the tenets of that week-long process? Yeah, it's, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I'm a huge advocate of green juice, like huge advocate. The only people that it's not great for in the beginning are those people with maybe some oxalate issues or, or issues around that, maybe some histamine issues. But that can be corrected once once the gut's corrected and you figure out what's, what's driving all those cytokines in your body crazy. So – uh, I'm a big advocate. I don't want to put down juicing because, uh, again, I'm a big fan of it. However, juicing is not detoxing. So I do always want to make that clear. Like when you do a tea or you use juices or you do an intestinal cleanse, those things are more uh, allowing for digestive rest and they're removing from the bowels. Like intestinal cleanse is great. You can use certain products to remove everything from the bowels and, and that can be helpful. But what we, when we want to do like kind of as a health-based community is we want to separate them into categories. And so juicing is a great health practice and it allows for digestive rest. But what we want to do is when we're talking about a functional medicine detox is we're providing the body with things like selenium, zinc, B vitamins, N-acetylcysteine, sulforaphane, which essentially are extracts from cruciferous vegetables. And these are the things that ramp up that phase two, that sulfur-based amino acid pathway that produce more glutathione in our body. And that is a lot, that's what allows us along with two days of, we do, so, I mean, people can always use their favorite functional medicine brand and I always recommend that. The, the company that I formulate for and that I use is Equilibrium Nutrition. And so ours is essentially four shakes day one, four shakes day two. Now, when people hear shakes, they always think of like slim fast or, you know, whatever it might be. Well, these are actually um, plant-based, uh, vegan-based shakes that contain all the nutrients that your body needs. And then we add in Ayurvedic herbs such as triphala and we add in ginger and turmeric. And then we add in the functional medicine blend, which is, again, selenium, N-acetylcysteine, taurine, everything the body needs to ramp up phase two detox. And we do those uh, essentially uh, two-day uh, liquid fast, and that gets the body deeper in autophagy. And then we on day three, we do uh, shake, vegan lunch, shake, and then a paleo style dinner. We do that for seven day for a total of seven days with, you know, honestly, really remarkable results. And it's the, if people are kind of looking for like a place to start, well, it teaches you about nutrition. It teaches you about a 12 hour intermittent fast. And so I really recommend that people begin there and it can be really life changing for a lot of people. There are many companies that do this. Uh, we're one of those companies. 
Love it. I'd love to actually try yours because I'm definitely feeling, especially after this period, I, I've done like a great deal to sort of optimize. Um, but I, I'm definitely, I think, in need of a fast and a reset. So I love that. One of, one of the things that you mentioned that I and I know is one of the cornerstones of your practice and a cornerstone of health um, relates to the gut and sort of gut health. And, uh, and you had mentioned um, in my research you know, that you had also had a, a, a tremendous amount of exposure to anti antibiotics and obviously I'm not saying antibiotics are, are bad but you know but I, they are definitely overprescribed I can say from my time living in Sri Lanka you know I took doxycycline as a prophylaxis an anti-malarial so I took uh, an antibiotic for probably two years of my life um, and when I got Lyme I got I went back to that that sort of antibiotic and when I did as is I think one of the amazing aspects of the time we're living in there is a, an ability to do an incredible amount of labs and so I, I did a you know a, a brain you know some deep you know uh, brain tests I did some gut tests some heart health tests even tested the health of my mitochondria um, but one of the things I discovered was that I had gut permeability and that I definitively had, um, you know, uh, killed a lot of the bacteria in my gut. And, you know, uh, without going into great detail, I also wasn't vaginally born. I was an emergency C-section and my mom had a challenge breastfeeding. So I didn't probably even have the foundations of that diverse flora. Um, but I know a lot of folks, uh, have probably like us had uh, a fair amount of exposure because there's so, it, antibiotics are so often prescribed, um, to, you know, to, to, to outside forces that kind of take out the inner ecosystem, if you will. And obviously glyphosate and a variety of things that are very much sprayed in the context of the environmental toxins that you mentioned previously have, have run, run havoc on many of us. How do you think about gut health in that context for, for those like myself who have a pretty compromised gut that have had, you know, gut permeability. Um, and, and I think one of the things that's also interesting is, you know, when you talk about things like bone broth and fermented foods, which obviously can be wonderful for folks who have an intact and healthy and thriving bacterial balance. Um, but as I understand, it may not be for someone who has SIBO or, or perhaps an overgrowth of bacteria. How do you, how do you think about the gut and gut health? Uh, first from the point of view of repairing for those who are, are perhaps not in, not in an optimal gut health, uh, position. Well, in our practice, and again, we just have the benefit of just doing it for a long time and seeing a lot of people. And so now having seen and really completed over a quarter of a million client appointments, the first thing that we look at is the gut. And we run something that we like to run with everybody, the big five labs. Not everybody can do that, and we understand that. But um, you know, if I could only fix two things in an individual, it would be stress, the HPA axis essentially, how the hypothalamus tells the pituitary gland to communicate with the adrenals, and I would fix the gut. And if I could do those two things, I could get about 85% of the people well, maybe even 90. And that's the amazing thing because what happens is – we have a two-way street from the gut to the brain and the brain to the gut. And then we call that the vagus nerve. Well, there are actually what's – again, this is, this is not exact, but about 8x the nerves running from the gut to the brain. So if you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with anxiety, PTSD, I'm not saying that there might not be past trauma. There may not be other issues. But it's also why is your body playing that on loop? Why do some people recover and not others? Well, inside of the gut, the gut actually makes 90% of your serotonin. 
And if the gut's always inflamed, well, you're always dealing with also inflammation that's systemic over the entire body. So what I like to do is I always want to test for four things right out of the gates. And that is candida overgrowth from antibiotic use or birth control or too much alcohol or fried foods or chlorine or fluoride in the tap water, glyphosate and pesticides. So you can see there's many different ways that you could get intestinal permeability or this overgrowth. Um, candida and SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, are right out of the gates. Like I'm going to run that almost with everybody because on the same lab, it also shows us your vitamin levels, your mitochondrial levels, ketone production, um, et cetera. So it's, it's an amazing lab. We call that the Candida Metabolic and Vitamins-Based Test. Um, I'm sure you, you, these, are, these are labs, by the way, that anybody can run. They're not like just for special individuals. The, now in 2020, we can, you can ship these anywhere in the world. So that's the great thing. But we have to look at that. Then the next thing we need to look at is parasites and H. pylori. Although not as common, they certainly lead to poor health over time. And I should say not as common. I mean, if you go over to Sri Lanka, you're probably looking at 30, 40% of the people over there with a parasite minimum. In the United States, it's often said that anywhere around 20 to 30% may have a parasite from salad bars or sushi or undercooked meat. So, you know, there are many ways to get these things. We need to find them. And the nice thing is you can eradicate them within 12 weeks. You really can. Like you can fix the gut, get rid of those things in 12 weeks. 95% plus of the people will be able to do it. Some people might take a second round. That's about it. Um, we're using biofilm disruptors. We call it the CBO gut protocol, but we, I mean, I always tell people exactly what I do. I open source this. I teach it to thousands of practitioners around the world because the truth is that this is the information that got me well. Um, I can't work with every individual in the world. I need to be able to just continue to share this. So we use biofilm disruptors. We use, um, herbal based formulas that contain oregano oil, clove, caprylic acid, um, berberine, like I could, I could go on and on, but these are all great things that have been proven to work. And then, but we do, this is what we do different. And this is what I've kind of realized seven years ago. And that's when I made this big switch. And that's when I started getting just tons of referrals for digestive issues. You don't put probiotics back in right away. And I know some doctors may say, well, this is what I do. And I understand that. But when you have an overgrowth, my first job is to remove and so I do that in month one by no fermented foods because a lot of these people have histamine issues. A lot of them have lectin issues. A lot of them have oxalate issues, but they don't need to live with them for life. So I need to remove first and then very carefully I need to repopulate. Too many doctors, practitioners are using full spectrum probiotics too quickly. So they're putting – so you have different bacteria in your small intestine than you do your colon. And your colon uh, is the last five feet in the to six feet, the first – 21 to 23 feet is your small intestine. So what you want to do is you want to actually repopulate the small intestine first with more of the lactobacillus-based forms. And then once you populated the area, then you can put in the colon-based uh, probiotics that will move past the small intestine because they won't have room to populate and then get down to the colon. So we found that to be very effective. And again, I, I mean, any practitioner can do this. We lay out exactly how we do it so that people can... Um, can participate. So yes, for, for us, we don't do fermented foods right away. We don't do kombucha. We don't do even some bone broths because of just the higher levels of potential um, histamines and glycine forming glutamate in the body. And it, it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It just means that there's a time and place for everything. And after 12 weeks to 16 weeks, now you want to seal up the gut wall. Okay, well, we do something called uh, the CBO finisher. It's glutamine. It's um, N-acetyl-D-glucosamine. It's zinc-carnosine. 
Uh, and it's uh, then again, a full spectrum probiotic at that point. So it gets in depth, but the truth is that all of these things are really fixable. They really are. I mean, I haven't seen anything yet that's saying like, oh, that's impossible to fix. I really believe that people can heal from whatever they're dealing with, but you just have to get down to that deep root causal level. And when you take things like doxycycline, which again, can be life-saving, and especially someone who has Lyme disease and they have the Borrelia-based bacteria or they have some type of spirochete-based bacteria, okay, wipe it out, but then realize, here's what just happened to your gut. Here's what happened to your mitochondria. Okay, now you don't have Lyme disease, but you still have the weakness. You still have the muscle fatigue. You still have the brain fog. Well, that's not the Lyme disease anymore. That's the wiping out of your bacteria, which are called your mitochondria. Now you need to fix those. You need to fix your gut. And so again, we help people heal from this, not by curing or treating the disease, because that's not what we do. We look at the underlying root causes, and then they get well because they realize it's no longer the Lyme. It's actually the repercussions from the Lyme and taking the doxycycline. Mm hmm. Oh, I love I love I love everything you just said. Uh, I actually want to do this protocol. I'm 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 I, I feel like the gut. One of the issues I've, I've done so many things. But as you said, I think in a way it's been like I've been uh, doing things on top of a poor foundation. Right. So I have I've taken the, the most epic, uh, you know, probiotics and prebiotics, et cetera. But I didn't first fix the the underlying issue in my estimation, uh, because I still feel like I, at least, and maybe some of the listeners can resonate with this. I, I know, as you had said, I, you, I feel like you, you've mentioned that you actually feel better now than you did say 20 years ago. And I feel like I've eliminated so many of the toxins in my life, so many of the bad habits. I've worked so hard on the mindset, but I think there's still something underlying biologically, whether it's an environmental toxin or some type of toxic load that has kept me, I think, from feeling the energy that I want to feel consistently on a daily basis. And I suspect it has something to do with the Lyme or, or the mold exposure and not fully detoxing that yet from my system because I, I do notice when I'm in different environments, I feel much more energetic. But the other piece that you had mentioned uh, was the stressors, as, as I understand it. Um, and I know a lot of people have hormonal issues, especially a lot of my uh, female uh, friends that I talk to, thyroid issues, et cetera. And there is such an amount of stress. And I think especially acutely at this particular point in time when we're amidst this kind of collective trauma in the form of a pandemic, um, but, and people are trying to figure out, you know, how, what to do with their livelihoods or what to do with their children and, uh, you know, and, and just have more inputs in terms of stress. How do you think about um, from a, from an underlying perspective, ways in which people can perhaps help to, uh, bring about, I guess it's a two part question, but, um, but more, uh, balance as it relates to hormones and, um, and, and in some ways related, like, how do you, how do you think about stress and stressors, um, and bringing about a greater sense of equilibrium? It's, I mean, this is, this is the foundation of health. The foundation of health really is what we just talked about with the gut, and it's, then it's with the autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system is what makes up the fight or flight or the rest and digest, basically the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system. We live in a vata-based society. So we live in a go-go-go, 24-hour-a-day, there's always something to do, stress. And most people never turn that off. And if you look at traditional Chinese medicine, you see the yin-yang symbol, and that's half light and half dark. Well, if you look at the circadian rhythm, you're looking at 12 hours of essentially uptime from 7 a.m. to then 7 p.m. It should be downtime, but we don't 
stop at 7 p.m., right? We, we keep going. We uh, watch um, engaging things. We uh, are on our phones. We're worried about a particular virus, whatever it might be. And so it just never stops. It only stops if we're lucky for the eight hours that we're in bed. But even then, how many people wake up throughout the night? They don't have good quality sleep. They're not in deep sleep. They're not getting an hour and a half of deep sleep. They're not getting two plus hours of REM sleep. And what we have now is this slow breaking down of the body. And that's why when you look at the disease process, people at 45 years old, they're like, how did I end up with this, this, and this? Well, it was accumulating for the past 20, 30 years. And a lot of that is the stress input, which is why I'm not against a longer fast. But what people have to understand is that, again, from a clinical-based perspective, 80% of our practice is women. Of course, we work with a lot of men as well, but 80% are women. They're just Women seem to be more open to talking about their body, talking about their health, and, and really looking at these specific things. Um, and so here's what happens. In the human body, when we are stressed, our body can only do so many things at one time. So it begins to make a shift. And the shift is towards the what's called adrenal-based axis or hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. We start to produce something called norepinephrine or epinephrine, and that's a neurotransmitter that gets our body basically ramped up, increased heart rate, um, vasoconstriction, vasodilation, depending on what part of the body we're talking about, and increases blood pressure. And then our body says, okay, well, we're going to start to retain more sodium. So now the body, again, it will use that if it needs to to increase blood pressure. Over time, it makes you retain more water, look more puffy. And that's with aldosterone, if I didn't mention that. And then we have cortisol. And everybody talks about cortisol, but that's only one part of it. That's called the glucocorticoids of the body. And that helps break down glucose stored glycogen in the body. And that makes fuel. Well, if you don't use it, well, then it can turn to body fat. So we have all these things going on in the body. But what happens is at the same time that no one ever talks about is it begins to lower sex hormones when it's chronic. That means lower progesterone in women, lower testosterone in men, lower DHEA, which lowers your immune system. So women are showing up now with estrogen dominance all the time, which is one of the biggest reasons for infertility. There is, they have feelings of uh, more PMS-based symptoms. They may be lower mood. They might have acne. They might start to see more facial hair growth, uh, more bloating around their menstrual cycle, night sweats. And with men, it can be sometimes more uh, fat gain, uh, especially around the chest and midsection. Uh, less ability for muscle, poor libido in, in both men and women, less drive, less in stamina, less ambition. And at the same time, especially in women, especially if they're on a lower carb diet, after about three or four weeks, we see their thyroid start to lower. So now all of a sudden, their metabolic rate is dropping. Why? Well, they're in fight or flight. So their body's not messing up. It's actually preserving life. It's saying, well, okay, we're going to drop the amount of calories you need per day. We're going to drop um, blood flow. You start to get cold hands and feet. You start to get a cold nose. You start to get thinning of the hair. Well, all of these things are very predictable based on where the person is inside of that dis-ease cycle as the body's breaking down. But the nice thing is, again, you can test these things and you can correct them based on figuring out what the underlying symptom is and not just treating that specific symptom. Love that. Um, like so powerful, as you said, as so foundational also to, to the, the basis of health. You, you mentioned something in there that I just want to touch upon because, uh, you had mentioned sort of traditionally how, you know, we would slow down or we would go into rest based on sort of the sun cycles. And I know that, you know, the circadian rhythm is ga- gaining some more attention, but, um, you know, a lot of us have these new inputs, like you said, like we're checking our phones or we're watching something stimulating or we're, uh, 
you know, around fluorescent light all the time. How, how do you think about, um, if you will, given the fact that we don't live in a traditional sort of agrarian or hunter gatherer society, uh, you know, the times in which much, much of our biology evolved and we are living in this modern world, how can one approximate those kind of circadian rhythms and, or how do you think about timing and the, and, and how we, uh, most optimally use time or, or move through time to, uh, enhance health and well-being? So, it's kind of like what I talk about with fasting. I'm, I'm a huge advocate of fasting. I've, I've been you know, really talking about autophagy for, for many, many years. But we have to understand that there's a, there's a give and take to the body. So mm-hmm. when you fast longer and longer, in the beginning, you might feel really great. And then what happens is there's a tipping point. And then you actually become more catabolic. And especially this happens as you get older. You actually start to waste muscle tissue. And if you're not getting to sleep and you're working out really hard – all this becomes much more challenging for the body because you're running on just adrenaline and fumes and it's difficult to get all the nutrients that you need. So we want to really think about all of these things in a, in a very smart way. And sleep is one of the most crucial. But what happens in our society, especially in the U.S., is we get so fixated on a specific dogma that it clouds our thinking as to even just, uh, I would say common sense, but it's sometimes it's not that. Like I didn't have any of this common sense when I was sick, I mean, that's the truth is because like my parents didn't teach it me, their parents uh, didn't teach it to them. It wasn't taught to me in school. So it's kind of like we need to relearn these things, but when we are not nocturnal beings, when it's dark out, we are meant to go to bed, but there's a lot of people that would actually argue with you that that's not actually true. And it's so unimaginable to me because, well, first the science backs it up. A healthy human body dips to its lowest level of cortisol at 9.30 p.m., right around 9.30 p.m. That will change based on the seasons because the sun stays out longer, typically in the summer, and it will be less so in the winter. But it's, you know, it's within that range. And it will start to ramp up. So thyroid hormone actually ramps up, and cortisol begins to ramp up around 4 o'clock in the morning. And we get peak cortisol production between 6 and 8 in the morning, again, depending on the season. That's when we're meant to get out of bed. I mean, there's a lot of things that help me get well, but going to bed within a half hour of the same time every night and waking up within a half hour of the same time every day was monumental for changing my health. Now, was it? I was a complete insomniac, so it was very difficult. I had to use nutritional supplements to get me there, and that was after years of being on sleep medication. So that is a crucial point. And also, anyone who just doesn't believe in the circadian rhythm, if you were to go out in the woods and live in the woods with no electricity and just a tent – believe me, you would be reset on that by the end of three weeks because you're not sleeping when it's bright out during the day. And when it gets dark at night, you're going to be tired after a while and you're going to want to go to bed because yeah, the first, let's say three or four nights, you won't be able to sleep, but you'll be so exhausted during the day that you want to go to bed earlier and earlier and nature will reset your circadian rhythm. So using blue blockers, uh, blue blocking glasses at night, um, using an amber light in your bedroom, if you're in your bedroom, Uh, All of those different types of things are unbelievable for being able to really get that body back on track sleep-wise. Love that. Um, Let me me ask you this question, Dr. Cabral. So if you were to say – obviously, you have a tremendously uh, rich amount of knowledge. And I think one of the things that I'm taking away and I think it's sort of antidotal to a lot of 
what is propagated in the West, which is the notion of, sorry, I'm making this up, but pill theory, right? Like take, take this one pill and it'll all go away, which, which oftentimes obviously is just sort of covering over on symptoms and not in any way treating the underlying uh, root of some of the health challenges. Um, you know, you, you're obviously talking about the nuances of of almost systems thinking as it relates to um, the body, which to, to me feels like um, an analogous approach to, I think, some ways in which we need to start thinking about the planet, because obviously I think we're, we're very much connected. But before I digress, as, as you think about sort of where we're at and for the in the benefit of those listening – if you were to distill down, because it sounded like you said the gut, for example, and stress would fix sort of 85, 90 percent. I also in the listening heard you say that we're, we're heading by 2030 potentially where one in two people will get cancer. And I know, for, for example, my father uh, who just who just passed, uh, you know, I spent the last eight years. He had previously had cancer and then evolved um uh, basically dementia, um, which, which grew out of much deeper systemic issues. Um, but I think we're seeing in the incidents when I, when he was diagnosed, I looked at, you know, half the U S population, uh, nearly as pre-diabetic half the Chinese population, nearly pre-diabetic. And we're having this whole new boom in lifestyle based disease. Um, as opposed to sort of not say that infectious disease isn't quite significant, but there's, there's so much now, uh, lifestyle based disease. What are the ways that you, if there was, you know, kind of a core mindset or core, core tools, I know that it's nuanced, but like if you were to distill down sort of three things that you recommend everyone do to sort of help bolster their, their health and well being amidst, this kind of current time where, where we are seeing such a, uh, an increased incidence of lifestyle born disease, what, what would those kind of core tenants be for you? Of what people need to do in order to stay healthy or get healthy? Is that, is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like given, given where we're at, like what would those, and I know you can't just, it's not like neat and tidy. Like you have, everyone should do these three things, but, but uh, you know, obviously you had mentioned the gut, you had mentioned stressors, but is there, you know, is there anything where you feel, you know, that, that there's, there's two or three things that you just feel everyone should be extremely mindful of given health in the 21st century? Yeah, I mean the the newest one is detoxification because since the 1960s, all of these industrial based uh, man made products have been developed. So mm-hmm. when you look at, uh, so let me just give you an example. This this is I, I wrote about this uh, as well um, in my book, and it was one of the cornerstones. And this is when it clicked for me that there's no there's no way out of this. It's just like we have to take health into our own hands because there was a study done called the Ten Americans. And basically what this study did, it only looked at 400 toxins. Remember, there's 77,000 toxins in the environment. And it's growing all every year. It's not like companies are making less toxic things. So what happened was they looked at just 400 toxins in the blood of 10 Americans. And what they found was an average of about 232 toxins for each of those 10 Americans. And then as the study started to go deeper and talk a little bit more, they said that these 10 Americans were actually unborn children. So this was taken from fetal cord blood. And so now you begin to realize that our children and future generations are already coming into the world, essentially infected with all of these different toxins. And what do these toxins do? Well, they create inflammation. Well, what is inflammation? Well, inflammation is one of the precursors to any different type of disease. And then it is based on your genetics. So I always say, you know, 
genetics are not the end-all be-all. I mean, in my genetics, I have rheumatoid arthritis, I have type 2 diabetes, I have all these things that I got when I was a teenager. But I don't have them anymore. So why would I not have them anymore? Well, doctors would say they're in remission. And I would say, well, they're only in remission because it's part of my genetics, but I turned that part of my genetics off. And I mean, I had high cholesterol when I was 18 years old. How do you have high cholesterol at 18 years old when you eat pretty well, you play three sports, you do all these different things? Well, what I was doing was not in line with my own health, with my own body. So the biggest thing I can say is we, we need to really look at functional medicine detoxification as something serious. We need to look at the, essentially the de-stress protocol and, and diet's a huge part of that. There's no one that's more important than the other. Supplements matter. You know, there's so much soil degradation that's happened since the 1900s. Nobody uses a three-field system anymore. The soil's depleted even for organic food. Uh, nutrient ratios are anywhere from 13% to 80% less calcium in certain minerals like zinc in our soil. So some supplementation is important, but also seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables every day, predominantly vegetables. And we kind of forget that it's all of those brightly colored foods that should make up the predominance of our diets, more of a Mediterranean-based style diet. I know there's a lot of different diets out there right now, and all of them can work in the short term. But once you start to get away from what has worked as human beings, um, it's very challenging. And I would also like to say this, that, and I don't want to dive you know, deep into this, but a healthy, a healthy human being is not as susceptible to all of these different diseases and viruses going around that the media likes to scare us with. There are different reports out there, but it's anywhere between a minimum of 85% of people uh, with uh, mortality from this current virus had a pre-existing condition. And there's a very reputable one that said that and, and they actually break it down by cardiovascular disease, just over 13%, diabetes by over 10%, uh, chronic respiratory issues by over 8%, uh, blood pressure by over 8%, cancer by over 7 These, I mean, pre-existing conditions are a huge factor for more diseases in the future and more susceptibility. It showed that the likelihood was 1%, 0.9% of people with mortality from this current uh, virus had no pre-existing conditions. At least they didn't know about them. So I just want to share that with people that we don't need to live in fear. Many of, us, uh, many of us have health issues that are nagging, that should be fixed, that can be fixed. And once you're living a healthy life, you don't have to be as worried every day. And that's what I like about it. I get to have a cheat meal, whatever you want to call it, a flex meal, once or twice a week where I enjoy whatever I want. And I don't worry about it. And I know what the consequences are. But I also understand that my body's healthy. It's balanced. It's achieved a state of equilibrium. So therefore, I can get away with doing these things. I can get away with a little less sleep one night. If I, go, if, I mean, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if I didn't get a night's sleep, oh, I'd have swollen glands. I'd have flu-like symptoms. I'd be exhausted. I'd be in a bad mood. And everyone around me would suffer, not just me. So again, I, I just want to really reiterate to people, there is an answer. There's an answer for everyone out there. It's about figuring out what you're deficient in and figure out what your toxicities are, remove your toxicities, replace those deficiencies, and allow your body to heal itself. No doctor, no practitioner is going to heal you. They're going to help you put your body and yourself in a position to heal. It's your job to work on that mentally, physically, and emotionally. And I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but that's why it's part of the journey through life, right? I'm working on this every day just like everyone else. Beautifully said. Um, I'm committed to that. 
I, I would love to, uh, I want to be mindful of your time and I know we've, we've crossed the hour. So I hope that this won't be our last conversation. I'd actually love to follow up with you on some of these protocols and maybe I'll invite some of you guys listening, uh, in my audience on the journey with me, because it's definitely something uh, I feel is absolutely imperative. Um, I think for our time and obviously just, just in terms of, you know, ha- having been mindful of health for a while, but, but acutely seeing, um, you know, what my father's journey and then seeing our collective journey as it relates to what's going on now around us. I think there's no better time to, uh, to, to really embark on this journey. So Dr. Cabral, I know you've written an amazing book, the rain barrel effects. Um, you've got obviously, you know, ways that people can tap in. What are the best ways for those that are intrigued and perhaps doing one of your protocols or reaching out to you uh, in regards to some of your, whether it be detoxification or, you know, your, your Ayurvedic wisdom, if they want to work with you, how can people find you what's the best way to to sort of reach out and keep in touch i always like always starting with education just like we're doing right here and and all the amazing guests in your podcast is just getting information out to people and for those people that it resonates with right now i just say you know keep the journey going it's read the rain barrel effect uh it really is my practice and what I do and how I've helped people condensed into one book. It's kind of like how you got to where you are today or how your parents got to where they were and then what you can do to help yourself, your family and other people and 100% of all of the profits from that book um, go to charity. So it's just I try to promote that whenever I can Uh, and then my my podcast is a daily podcast and it's the Cabral Concept. It's at my main website which is Stephen Cabral and Stephen with a PH, StephenCabral.com. And that's it. Start with the education. Once it feels right, if you want to do a functional medicine detox, if you want to run a lab right at home, you can see everything that's available right at equilibriumnutrition.com. That is, um, you know, I basically went from a big Boston, Massachusetts practice to saying, I think we can do more. I think we can help more people and let's put this online. And, and that's essentially what we did. We just made it a kind of a global virtual practice and love talking with, um, you know, pioneers like yourself getting this information out to everybody that um that that can change and again it's not just physically and i think you do a really good job of that is teaching people that uh, yes there are things that you need to do with your body but also it is about your psyche it is about your mind and the two do work together well said and with that actually you you perfectly bridged into the final question i like to ask and obviously this can be taken literally or or a bit more uh, metaphorically but what what to you dr cabral is definition or what what is your vision of a peak mind to me a peak mind is being able to live the life that you want so the tagline Mm -hmm. that i always use is change your body change your life and i realized when at a very young age that there were things that i wanted to do but i couldn't do them i had brain fog and my body was exhausted it hurt i was a miserable individual and in order for me to do what i wanted i had to fix my body And as I was fixing my body, I was learning a lot along the journey, a lot along the process. And that allowed me then to not only fix my body, but to fix my mind. Now I can live the life that I want, which means I don't always get everything I want the same day, but I have a vision for myself. I have a vision for my life. I know how I want to serve. And that gives me energy to wake up every day and and move forward with that. And so that's really all I ask for in life. 
Uh, couldn't be better said. It did probe pro for me one final question, actually, which is you, you mentioned brain fog, and I know you mentioned it in the context of gut, but uh, uh, some of the the audience and myself in particular are particularly interested. Do you have any resources or ways that you think about brain fog that you could point people to? Because I know a lot of the audience is deeply interested also in optimizing the mind, and 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 you know maybe we save this for another conversation. But even if you had a teaser, um, what are the ways in which I've, you can mitigate mitigate against uh, brain fog and kind of create that clarity of mind? Well, I always say that one of the first symptoms that your body is moving towards a dis-ease, right, a dis-ease of the body is waking up in the morning and not having energy. So mm -hmm. if you wake up and you feel groggy, not ready to get out of bed, and but you were in bed for a good seven, and I mean, the average is seven to nine hours. I, I talk about that as well. But let's say you're in bed for eight hours and you, you've been doing that for a week or so. If you don't, have energy when you wake up, something's off. And so at that point, you need to start figuring things off because it's a signal from your body that it's not energized, that it's not in a state of rejuvenation during the night, that you are not healing and you're actually moving in the other direction. So at that point, you need to assess your hormones or you need to I actually I call it the starter kit for a reason. It looks at all your vitamin levels. It looks at all your mineral levels. It looks at your gut health. It looks at the precursors to neurotransmitters. It's called the starter kit. Anybody in the world essentially can order it. It's at equilibriumnutrition.com. You don't have to order it from us. You can actually look at the labs. You can request it from your local functional medicine doctor. You can work with your local integrative health practitioner. But remember that you can figure it out. A lab testing is the best way to do it. And if you're not able to, uh, well, then start with a de-stress protocol, and, and that is basically looking at your food, looking at your exercise, looking at your stress, your toxin removal, emotional balance, supplement protocols, and success mindset. And again, you do those things, you will heal. The nice thing about the de-stress protocol is it allows you not to have to be perfect. You can be 80%, basically, 90%, not perfect, 9 out of 10 times, right, choice-wise, and still get it right because you're not relying on one thing one diet, one supplement, one exercise. If you do a little bit of all the different areas of life that matter, that's a much better way to live because now you don't have to be perfect. Love that. Incremental change. 1% better every day. Um, Dr. Cabral, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Um, I, I've loved our conversation and uh, we'll be delving much more deeply into your work and, and hopefully have another conversation uh, down the road. Wishing you so much uh, success and, and thanks for your contribution. Thank you. It was a pleasure being on. I appreciate you, uh, again, allowing me to share this message with your community. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Stephen Cabral. I found him to be extraordinarily knowledgeable and have been using now his products. I'm going to do the detox. I uh, really, really uh, got a lot of value out of it. I hope you did too. If you did, please go ahead and take 20 seconds and leave us uh, a five-star rating and review over on iTunes. It means the world to me and helps us get greater guests uh, and bring you value. Uh, and if you have any feedback, you're more than welcome to hit me up. I love hearing from this audience in this community. I'm at Michael Trainer on all the social channels, and I reply to uh, all my messages. So really greatly appreciate you taking the time to listen. I hope you got a tremendous amount of value. And please go out there and live your inspired life.